Thank you, Shannon. Canada Day. Thank you for your prayers. I can walk up here. God is good. God is good. I'm so grateful that God is a miraculous God. And though I don't use a staff right now, God has been with me these last two weeks. In spite of the pain and the things that my body has been going through, because of your prayers, I have peace. I have joy. God is good all the time. I don't know if you noticed last Sunday or the family picnic Sunday, there's something about me that people commented on and they said, you're a pretty competitive guy. One of the things I enjoy doing, probably to the point of too much, is I love watching sports. Uh, I'm so grateful that we have TVs because I love to watch athletes no matter what they're doing. And I've always been competitive, even in the littlest ways. I love winning. I just love winning. I feel badly for the German heritage people. <laughs> I feel very badly for you that you had to go home empty-handed. But then I rejoice for the Mexicans because they're the winners. And they were so excited about winning. In Mexico City, they were up, jumping up and down so hard that the, rector, the earthquake Richter scales started to measure them. I love winning. As a kid, I was always competitive, even in the simplest things. I believe that the church needs to have that kind of attitude, that they love winning. They love winning. Why do I say that? Because we serve a winner. We serve a winner. We serve Jesus. I was in sales for many years in my younger life before I came to know my relationship with God. And many times in different seminars that I went to and in sales retreats, this particular, these comments were made on a regular basis. A winner is always part of the answer a loser is always part of the problem. A winner always has a program. A loser always has an excuse. A winner says, let me do it for you. A loser says, that's not my job. A winner sees an answer for every problem. A loser sees a problem for every answer. A winner sees a green near every sand trap. 
a loser sees two or three sand traps near every green. The winner says, it may be difficult, but it's possible. A loser says, it may be possible, possible, but it's too difficult. When I look at the book of Thessalonians, and I look at the heart of John as he returned to this community of Thessalonica, which he had founded in one of his missionary trips, and how excited and how proud he was of this little church. They clearly were a winning church. They were winners. And Paul was so excited about it. So this morning, I want to continue with my, my thoughts, seeking hope in a seemingly hopeless world. And I've entitled my thoughts this morning, The Reality of the Gospel. The Reality of the Gospel. Let's pray together. Father, your holy word is written for us. It was written centuries ago, but it is as relevant today as it was yesterday. And so we seek guidance, Holy Spirit, from you into our thoughts and into our hearts that your word would be correctly divided according to your will. Bless these words this morning, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. The prayer for my church, the prayer for this church, is that we would capture and see why Paul was so encouraged by the church at Thessalonica. And as I read it again this week, four action words stood out for me. And I use the term action words because that's exactly what they were. Notice what Paul closed chapter 1 with. They, the, Thessalonic the Thessalonians, turned to God from idols to wait for his son, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The coming wrath that Paul talks about is something very few churches talk about in modern-day evangelism or evangelical community. The wrath that Paul is talking about is hell. That's the wrath he's talking about. He's talking about hell. And he rejoices in his heart because he sees before him those who are saved from that predicament. But let us not be fooled, folks. There is a wrath. The first word that I was struck by is the word power. The word power. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for, the gospel, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the word power. I circled it in my Bible. Mrs. Betcher will be proud of me because it's kind of a precept thing. And I circled it in red. But we need to understand the power of the gospel comes from the gospel being spoken. 
Let me read again what that passage said. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power. I think I'm correct when I believe that speaking the words of the gospel to people, whether they be friends or strangers, is probably the greatest fear of most Christians. To actually go out and face someone and speak the gospel to them. But yet the speaking of the gospel, when the words of the gospel part your lips, the power of the Holy Spirit becomes present in the moment. The power of the Holy Spirit becomes present in the moment. I remember, I've told you that I, I was very actively involved in, in a door-to-door or an evangelistic campaign called Evangelism Explosion. I trained it when I was in Bible college. But I recall the week my wife and I signed up for the training. And it was a six-month program. My wife and I were young believers, and we signed up. And I have to tell you that every Tuesday night, we would go out and cold call, what we called cold call. We would go out as part of a team, and we would go knocking on doors, sharing the gospel. My wife was almost violently ill every Tuesday. About three or four in the afternoon, she began to actually tremble. She had to go out again. But I want to tell you the power of the gospel is real because my loving wife went through every single Tuesday. Every single Tuesday. The gospel is something that changes lives. People often say to me, but pastor, you're in a gifted evangelism. You're a gifted evangelist. It becomes easy for you. Not true. Not true. Because I believe that Satan himself knows how powerful the gospel is, and the tool that he will use in each of our lives is fear. Is fear. And all kinds of things will be conjured up in our mind. We might offend somebody. We might say the wrong thing. We And so we become so afraid that we have our little meeting, but the gospel never really gets shared. That's true of me too. That's true of me too. But I remember and I claim in my heart, for God has not given me a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. 2 Timothy. You see, the power of the, of the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we open our mouth. And the minute we open our mouth with the gospel, the spoken word, we shut Satan down. He is shut down because with the gospel comes the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The modern evangelical movement has rightfully emphasized the power of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul clearly states in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Who loves more than Jesus? Who can love more than Jesus? Nobody. His love is so deep, it's not even measurable. But Jesus verbally <coughs> shared the gospel. You say, what? Jesus shared the gospel verbally. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If Jesus had to vocally share the gospel, the gospel is equally as powerful as love, and perhaps even more. Perhaps even more. You see, when we open our mouth, when we send forth the gospel in word, the power of the Holy Spirit comes with us. There isn't a time, I had that privilege this week, of getting a phone call. Seems to be what happens in my life these days. My aunt told me that you could talk to me about God. And so I met with her at a, at a coffee shop, and we had a long conversation. And as I listened to her for about an hour and her life and her struggles and her pain, I began to share the gospel. I began to open my mouth with the gospel of Christ. And there was a sense of peace and power that came around that table as she listened to the gospel. You see, I believe that we are limiting our winning spirit of the church because we're not vocalizing the story of Jesus. Second word I found was, well, maybe two words, imitators or example. My dad was in the military. But in the military those days, and I think even today, they don't pay very good wages. I was in the military, and we, we didn't get very much pay, and that, that always bothers me. Here we are trying to protect our country, and we get very little pay for doing it. But my dad was in the Air Force, and we had six boys in our family, and, and so he li we lived on this little farm just outside of the Air, the Air Force base in Elmer, Ontario. And for my make ends meet. He also drove taxi in the evenings and on weekends. And in those days, the taxi drivers had to look after their own vehicle. So if there was any repairs that were needed, then it was the responsibility of the driver to see that they were done. Well, my dad was, in the, was, a, was, in the, was a mechanic uh, in the Air Force, and so he was very mechanically inclined. And I remember this one day that he uh, he had to put new brakes and brake liners and, uh, and, and brake fluid lines in his taxi. I think I was about six years old, and I loved my dad. I followed him everywhere. 
And this day I was watching him take the wheels off the car, take the brakes off, and do whatever he was doing. But what I thought and admired about him, he was really dirty. He had grease and brake powder all over him. And so off he went to work uh, the next morning. I got out there and I got into this car. And I crawled around the wheels and I crawled underneath the car and every speck of grease or dirt I found, I would grab it and rub it all over me because I wanted to look like my dad. That often when we think it's absolutely true, children when they're younger, what would you like to be when you grow up? Many will say, I, I want to be whatever my dad is doing or whatever my mom is doing. If you're a I want to be a teacher. I want to be a nurse. Well, my son did that every time uh, people ask him. He says, I want to be a Kelly's store man because I was the manager of Kelly's Stereo Marts. And so he said, I want to be a Kelly's man. Then when I became a believer and I was working uh, with World Vision of Canada while going to, to, to college, my son would say, I want to be a World Vision man. And he would come with me on weekends and he was so excited that he could stand at the back of the foyer after I spoke on World Vision and hand out tracts and, 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 and child applications. And he was like that until he was a teenager. I kept thinking he was going to say, I want to be like my dad, the preacher. Nope. I'm going to have no part of that. But I do believe that young people want to follow those who they admire. This young church did that. They became imitators of Paul and Timothy. They admired Paul and Timothy. And so they wanted to be like him. Our greatest challenge as believers is are we an example when it comes to the gospel? Are we teaching or showing or demonstrating to our children, the next generation, there were confidence to share the gospel with people, that it becomes natural for us? Because if we don't, the verbal gospel gets shut down. Because we're not giving the example. We're not setting the stage of how important this is in our lives. Imitators, examples. Oh, how desperately we need that. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, is written in Thessalonians, not only in Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has come, has come forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. What does that say? It means we speak. We speak the word of the Lord. We sound it forth. You see, Thessalonica was a commercial city. There were peoples from all over that would thread themselves through Thessalonica. 
And this small church was sounding forth the gospel to everyone that they would come in touch with, so much so that it spread across Asia. And it started in that little church. Third word. Turned. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned from God from idols to serve the living and true God. Often before I was a believer, I didn't think I worshipped idols. As I started to attend church, for my son's sake, by the way, not for mine, I would read or hear preaching of false cults and people worshiping Satan and idols. And I thought, well, that's not me. I'm okay. But when I heard the words of the gospel being shared in my living room, there was a power that came into my house, and the presence of God's Spirit was palpable. And I was overwhelmed with a desire and a need to welcome Jesus into my life. I had been going to church for three years by this time. I had taught youth. I was asked by the church to be the moderator. But I didn't know Jesus. Because no one in that church shared with me the gospel. They assumed that their action steps and their love for me was sufficient for me to find salvation. But salvation is only found in the Word of God. And when we find salvation, then our love for people becomes genuine and real and powerful. It's the Word of God that turns us around. It turns us around. Everything changed when conviction came into my life. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. When we utter the words of the gospel to people, what comes along with those words is conviction of the Holy Spirit, that they need a Savior, that they need to be redeemed, that they need to change. You see, my life changed. It didn't all happen at once. There wasn't a great big change the next moment or hour or two or the next two or three days. But change began. I recall very clearly, I was starting a new store in Saskatoon from the, 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 the original store in Regina. And my assistant manager of Regina was going to take over management of the new store I was setting up. 
And this man and I, whose name was Jim, we spent a lot of time together over the years as manager, assistant manager, and friends. And in those days, we would go at 9 o'clock when the store closed, and he and I and a couple of others would head to the pub and shut it down. That was our tradition. We'd go up to Saskatoon and we'd start to set up the new store. And at 9 o'clock, we'd head to the closest pub and shut it down. On February the 8th, 1978, the Lord convicted me of my life and my need for Jesus. And I opened my heart with joy. And I remember a few days after that, we were up in Saskatoon, Jim and I, and some volunteers setting up the store. We went in for coffee at coffee time. We sat in the coffee room and we poured each other a cup of coffee. Jim pulled out his package of cigarettes and took one out and threw the package to me and I grabbed it and I went for a cigarette and then I said, no, I don't think I do this anymore. And I threw the package back to him. And I haven't had a cigarette since. A few days later, we did our normal thing, went to the pub at 9 o'clock, sat down, and the waitresses knew us really well. We were there every night. And they said, well, boys, same thing. Jim said, well, I'll have a Lethbridge. He drank Lethbridge beer. And I said, I'll have, I'll have a Coke because I don't think this is my lifestyle anymore. You see, God begins to change you when you welcome the gospel of truth into your life. And he is still changing me. He is still moving in my life day by day and changing me that I might become what he wants me to become. But it all began with the words of the gospel. Fourth word, waiting and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You see, the word wait in this book, in the original languages, is, is unique. Wait for us has a connotation of standing still. And that would be an accurate definition of the word as we understand it. It's, more, it's a word that is understood more as a noun or a passive word. There's not movement to it. It's kind of standing still. But here in Thessalonians, it is an action word and must be understood that way in the context. It is a word associated with the wrath to come. The wrath to come is this cornerstone of why God initiated the gospel before the foundation of the world. It is the cornerstone. He knew that he was one day must come to judge the living and the dead. And so he set in place before he said, let there be light, the gospel of salvation. The wrath to come, which is spoken about here, is hell. And as I said before, it's a teaching one hears very little about in the modern evangelical movement. But it is a reality. Hell is an eternity 
of being separated from God and anyone else. It is an eternity of total oneness in oneself. The Bible doesn't give a whole lot of definition about it except gnashing of teeth and mourning and, 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 and agony. Maybe we could illustrate it best in this way. Imagine yourself being placed in a large cylindrical sphere that is crystal clear. You can see out of it. You're in this crystal sphere and you're shot out into darkness, complete darkness. No stars, no sun, no light, and no other sphere around you. And you are in that sphere of oneness, that, one, that sphere of loneliness all by yourself, with only your thoughts, with only your reality forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now, I don't know about you, but that should frighten you. Hell should be something we're afraid of. But because we have the gospel, we have been rescued. We have been rescued from that. But here's my important point, my friends. Here's the important part for us. People around this building, people around this community, people where you work, people in your neighborhoods, they're facing a sphere of darkness for eternity without the gospel. They're facing a sphere of eternity alone without the gospel. Paul was proud of this church. Paul was excited about this church because they were willing to verbalize the gospel. And the gospel rescues. The gospel rescues us from the wrath to come. I hope that disturbs you. I hope that disturbs you. I hope that you already have somebody in your mind who you know doesn't know Jesus. And the gospel is the only way to save them from the coming wrath. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're like Pastor Gary. Went to church for years. But still was destined to the sphere. Sphere. Because even though I was in church, an evangelical church, no one took the time to share the gospel with me till I was transferred to another city and a little small church that was just beginning, a little Thessalonica church, was using evangelism explosion as a tool of the gospel, and they came into my house. And I was saved. My dear friends, why has God, for all these 60-some-odd years, had Thornhill Baptist Church planted on this corner in Tashe Avenue? 
Why are we here? Why are we here? Because there's a community of people around us who need the gospel. Why are you where you are at work? Why are where you are at your home in whatever community you live in? Because there are people around you who need the gospel, and they need to hear the gospel. You can love them and love them and love them and love them. But without the words of Christ, they will still be lost. It's the gospel that ignited love in me for people. I got to tell you, before I was a Christian, I wouldn't pay much attention to any one of you if it wasn't to my advantage. But when I found the gospel, I found love. I found love for people. And I love being with them. Lord, let us be a gospel church. Holy Spirit of God, reach into each of our hearts and remind us of our own redemption. Remind us that if we, have been we have been rescued from the wrath to come because Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Savior. Give us the strength, Holy Spirit, to share the gospel verbally with people around us. Help us to understand their need to be rescued from hell. Give us strength, Father. Give us wisdom. As we set our path forward into the next ministry year, Lord, may the gospel of Jesus be the foundation of everything we do. May it be all about Jesus. And Lord, if there are those here today within our midst who need to hear the words of the gospel, then you come and speak to me. You speak to someone in our church. Let us be gospel bearers, Jesus, for we ask it in your holy name. Amen.